Hello there, everyone, and welcome to a post-game Mavs Film Room podcast coming at you guys just hours after the Mavericks' 51-point win against the L.A. Clippers at the Staples Center. What a win it was for the Mavs' first of the season, and boy, did they need that after an embarrassing performance against the Lakers on Christmas Day. The Mavericks proved that they have improved as a team, and they are here to play better than they were last year, so... It was a sight for sore eyes, and it was a statement win. It doesn't get better than that. Absolutely. For fans, I think this was a gut check because there's a lot of doom and gloom on social media, obviously, when the Mavs lose two games in a row. But we have to remember those first two games were difficult games, even if you underrate the Suns a little bit. They have Chris Paul. Chris Paul's one of the best point guards of all time. Never underrate him. LeBron, one of the best players of all time. AD is going to have a great season this year if he really is shooting threes. But this game in particular, coming up against a Clippers team that is on a hot streak. Paul George finally feeling comfortable, seemingly. Serge Ibaka getting his legs under him. Luke Kennard finally getting a little bit of playing time because Kawhi Leonard wasn't there. And speaking of Kawhi... I don't think he would have won the game, even if he played for the Clippers today. I think like when you lose by 50 points, there's really nothing more no, you could no have one done player. except play better. Yeah, yeah no one player is going to help better. you. Uh, and the Mavs are missing Kristaps, so it was just a horrible game for the Clippers and a great game for the Mavericks, and I think they have to be feeling good about themselves after this. My response to Paul George and Clippers fans saying that, oh, we didn't have Kawhi, we didn't do this, and giving all these you know, excuses, cry me a river, Mavs in 72. <laughs> you know, I think the 50-point win has been something the Mavericks have been getting more accustomed to here over the last decade or so. I don't know if they won a game by 50 points last year, but they definitely had several 40-point wins and several 30-plus point wins, so... Looks like the Mavs were due for one of these in the Luka era. And I think the biggest takeaway from this game, honestly, was it was just a bounce-back game. I think the Mavs had two disappointing performances in the first couple of games of the season. And, of course, we don't want to draw too many conclusions from just a two-game sample size. But knowing what we know about the Mavericks and seeing how they played last season, today's game was just a good affirmation that they are the team that we thought they were. For a lot of these guys, it was a moment where they have to show that last season wasn't just a fluke playing next to Luka and that they're going to build on that performance. And in the case of guys like THJ, they were able to step up. And that was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, definitely. There were several guys that had bounce back performances in this one, and we'll get to that in a second. I think first and foremost, I don't know if it was just me, but I feel like Luka looked a bit more comfortable today commanding the offense. I know he looked pretty sluggish in game one despite scoring 32 points. And against the Lakers, he was just in a tough spot being the guy who demanded virtually all of the Lakers' defensive attention. So this afternoon, he looked pretty comfortable. He looked a little bit more in shape like we've seen him in the past. And I think he really got whatever he wanted. He was rebounding the ball well early, was making a lot of good passes, and I think had a lot of assist that should have been converted shots that didn't. And he probably had maybe only half of what he should have had assist-wise. But I think it's, it was nice to see Luca looking comfortable and, and looking in shape out there. This was the first game that I felt as if 
Luca had that mental edge to him. Luca will always be able to score 24, 25 points at the very least through three quarters of play. He scores 30 against the Suns and he makes it look effortless, right? You barely notice that he really made it unless you're literally checking the box score in front of you. And in this case, what, he played 25, 26 minutes and almost recorded a triple-double. I don't think he played in the fourth quarter. So in general, even aside from the stats, I think in terms of his body language, in terms of his passing and... Even when he's off ball, I think he did a better job today of staying involved in possessions and not necessarily trying to play outside of himself. Yeah, that's a great point. I think Luca looked very comfortable from the get-go. He was able to get a lot of those drives to the basket that he was having trouble with in the first couple of games. And I think that always sets a positive tone for him early. One thing I want to mention uh, when we talk about positive psychology and positive mentality is that we always talk about the psychology of the lead and how important that is in in sports and coming into this game the Mavericks had only led for about I think four and a half minutes or so the entire season which of course was two games but that's not very much to two minutes out of a hundred played is not good so so the Mavs were playing from behind virtually all of their first two games so it was nice to see them take it to the Clippers, you know, mouth in the first <laughs> quarter of this game. And the Mavericks led for the, the whole game after falling down 2-0. That was the only time the Clippers led in this game was after the first basket. But after that, it was all Mavericks. And I think that was so important for them to affirm to them that they that they can beat one of the best teams in the league and compete with anyone. A lot of that credit I'll have to give to Josh Richardson. Paul George came out scored his first bucket. Obviously, we know that he has momentum from his previous games. And all excuses aside, you got to throw bodies at him. You got to force him to get the ball in different positions and make uncomfortable decisions. And I think Josh Richardson was able to do that extremely well, which is not easy to do against Paul George, who traditionally is a small forward, but mostly plays the two or at least is run in sets as a shooting guard most of the time. Yeah, Josh Richardson has looked amazing in the first three games of the regular season as well as dating back to the preseason games as well. I mean, his fit could not be more perfect in Dallas. His defensive effort is visible at all times. And, of course, he's very good at shooting the three balls. So that's exactly what the Mavs are missing last season. And the results are showing. I mean, the Mavs look like a much better defensive team, even though last game they struggled defensively against the Lakers. I mean... They're generating steals. They're playing tougher interior defense. I mean, these are great sights for sore eyes if you watched the Mavs last year. What was great to see was all of the team defensive schemes working out. For example, playing the passing lanes. Mm -hmm, There were a couple moments where the ball kind of just landed in somebody's hands. And that really isn't a proactive decision that the Mavs defense made. But... You don't get the Clippers having 12 turnovers and the Mavs having like six through just pure luck or the Clippers not playing well. It was definitely, and this goes back to what I said in our previous episode, where the Mavs just have to sit in the film room and do a double block for defense and rebounding. 
and specifically on defense, they did a really good job of switching, of not allowing mismatches to hurt them in key moments. Part of that is obviously rotations, but I think the bigger part of that when you have at least the bench lineup in is focusing on outscoring in that time. And I think this was the first game that the bench was able to get that boost. And I think a big part of that is Josh Richardson because he played Mm -hmm. minutes with both units. That's a great point about the Mavericks jumping into passing lanes and attacking pick and rolls, honestly, and and forcing a lot of deflections that lead to turnovers and fast break opportunities. I mean, just looking at the first three games of the season, the Mavericks forced 18 turnovers from the Suns. They forced 16 turnovers against the Lakers on Christmas despite the blowout loss. And tonight... They forced 12 turnovers against the Clippers. So that's a double-digit turnover effort in all three of the first games. And so that really speaks to the Mavs' improved defensive effort. I mean, you don't just do that by luck. The Mavs have always been one of the better teams at keeping the ball, but forcing turnovers has been something they've struggled with, at least in the first couple of years of the Luka era. But they seem to be a team that really takes it upon themselves to play the passing lanes hard and and, and play those screens hard, too, and not just go under everything like they usually do. And I think credit to guys like Josh Richardson, as well as James Johnson. I mean, watching them really go at it at pick-and-roll ball handlers, I feel like it's rubbed off on some of the other guys like Dorian Finney-Smith and Tim Hardaway Jr. to just expend a bit more energy on defense than they had been in the past. Exactly. That and you know that there's somebody that will back you up if necessary, and you know that you can be more comfortable on a switch. Those things, not only subconsciously, but also in terms of chemistry, are very important because you're willing to play harder for guys that you have a positive relationship with. And from what I've seen, Jay Rich and James Johnson specifically are great glue guys. That's the most impressive thing to me, even past what they do on the court, is the mentality. And I I really think the Mavs have missed that for a while. When I went to a Mavs game last year, back when NBA games had people in the audiences, I I know it's so alien. One of the things... (laughs) (laughs) One of... I ended up having a conversation with this stranger and this was my first time sitting courtside and this guy was just like i I wish they would be more aggressive they're playing the rockets at this point i just wish they would be aggressive they need to put the ball on the floor and get to the basket and he was saying specifically for guys like tim etc and i think we saw that as the season went on last year but in terms of defense this team is developing an identity for it and i really really like that and it's not just defense it's defense playmaking energy if they can keep up the rebounding i really think this team is going to live up to a lot of the hype it's a bit early in the season to be looking at offensive rating and defensive rating numbers just especially considering the mavs gave up 138 last game and only gave up 72 this game i think those sorts of things will skew the data a bit but it'll be interesting to see how the mavs ability to force turnovers will will manifest in their defensive rating for the season. And I think if they can get into that top 13 or top 12 range of defensive rating, they will be a much more improved team. Comparing this to the Lakers game, the bench unit was not able to score nearly as comfortably 
against the Lakers as they were today. And, and I think the energy that they came out with in the first quarter was integral to that because Jalen Brunson doesn't have the pressure at that moment to immediately be playing perfect as soon as he comes into the game. That and Luka played the entire first quarter. So there's a sense of momentum that was bridged, even though, you know, <laughs> the Clippers were shooting 20% from the floor by the end of that quarter and the Mavs were shooting 60% from the floor. <laughs> <laughs> that first half was ridiculous. I mean, I have never seen anything like that ever in my life. This, I mean, the, the halftime score was 77 to 27, which the biggest halftime lead in NBA history, which we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. But, I mean, that first half was was just drugs right there. Luca had four assists in the first half. The entire Clippers team had three. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Luca had 18 points in the first half and the Clippers had 27. He he, just... he only made two fewer shots than their entire team. Yeah, the, I think the Mavs had more made baskets than the Clippers had points in, <laughs> in that first half. So, it was about as bad of a half as you could play if you were the Clippers. But let's get a little bit into this bounce back theme a bit because there's a few guys I want to talk about. Let's start with Jalen Brunson, who's sort of had an up and down career with the Mavericks, especially here in the last couple of games against the Lakers. It was not one of his finer moments. He played about 13 or 14 minutes, had four points, one assist and three pretty bad turnovers. So this game, he really took it upon himself to command the offense in a better direction when he was on the floor. And I think the results showed he finished the game with three points or sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to do that again. Yep. 11 points. Okay. Jalen Brunson took it upon himself to command the offense with a more steady hand in this game. And I think Rick Carlisle's lineups had to do with that as well. But I think it was nice to see Brunson, He's, he played about 13 minutes again. He had 11 points, but I think the numbers that really stuck out to me for him were he had three assists and zero turnovers today, which was nice to see. I think Brunson is a bit of an inconsistent player when it comes to turnovers because some games he can be really turnover prone and other games his high basketball IQ really shines. And we see the kind of player that he could be off the bench. I do think that he is diligent in terms of his X's and O's. The downside is his physical profile, but at the same time, when I see people really ragging on him for that, I know exactly what they're not looking at, and that is, how does he play off of other people, right? How, what, what type of energy is he giving, um, and on top of that, is he able to fit within the flow offense? And we've known for the last two, three years that he's kind of that plug and play guy, but that he will have inconsistencies because of his physical profile. However, today, I really think he used his quickness to his advantage. And I don't know whether this was because Willie Cauley-Stein got chewed out in practice or he was watching a lot of film uh, for setting better screens, but I did notice a lot more of that uh, especially with the bench guards. And we'll get into Willie later, but I, I think that is the key to unlocking Jalen Brunson's game because he can't do everything himself. He's just, you you are spoiled by Luka being your point guard for half of the game when Jalen Brunson and Trey Burke come in because they're very good at what they do, but they do things differently from Luka. And we have to be okay with that. 
It's interesting that you mentioned that about Brunson and how it's sort of ironic that to get him to grow into his role as the floor leader for the bench unit, he needs to learn how to play off ball. And I think that's what really helped him in, in today's game was rather than playing with a guy like Trey Burke, who is a spark plug, score first, you know, head to the basket kind of guy. He played more with James Johnson, who is a veteran presence, a guy who is a good passer and will always look for the right reads on offense. And that seemed to really help Brunson today because Brunson's first instinct as a player is usually to, he's a bull. He's a guy who like tries to dribble to the basket or if he can't get to the basket, then he'll take it out and sort of dribble the air out of the ball until he can get something that he likes. He's not as talented of a scorer as Burke is, but at the same time, Brunson is a skilled player and he's a bit of an old school point guard. I mean, that was a scouting report for him coming out of college. He's a guy who likes to post up opposing players and try and shoot mid-range jump shots. And I think when you're trying to do it all on offense, it just doesn't work. This isn't college anymore, and NBA defenses are much, much more skilled than college defenses. And that sort of playing style will get you benched quick in the NBA, unless you're a supreme talent like a Luka or a Kawhi Leonard or Paul George. So I think this new role for Brunson and new lineup staggering between him and Trey Burke, I think will actually help him going forward. And I, I'd like to see it. I mean, Trey Burke has certainly been successful playing in these lineups with Luca, So I expect to see more of this going forward. I, well, yes, that's, that's a really good point, uh, especially with Trey Burke and Jalen Brunson playing minutes together. You can throw a lot of bodies at a Trey Burke. You can throw a lot of bodies at a Jalen Brunson and they're going to be effective because they're outmatched in terms of size, wingspan, and weight. Their only saving grace is their quickness or their ability to play on the perimeter. When you stagger those minutes and you're playing Jalen Brunson next to James Johnson, you have a walking mismatch on your side. Who are you going to put on James Johnson? You have to put somebody on James Johnson that can cover the three, that is a decent perimeter defender. On top of that, they need to at least be slightly agile. They need some lateral quickness. And you would think that Serge Ibaka was the perfect person to play against James Johnson. But in the small time that we did see them matched up against each other, James Johnson really showed how cerebral of a player he is. And we'll talk more about him later when it comes to what happened in the second half but in terms of his playmaking, I think that's a huge deal because that will allow guys like Jalen, like Trey Burke, to almost be plug-and-play options rather than having to exist in a predetermined rotation. And that will suit Rick Carlisle's flow offense and his almost free-form jazz approach to it to lineup adjustments. Yeah, one final point on that. I think... Having a guy like James Johnson on the floor, the Mavericks usually are playing him at center. So if the opposing team has a big guy at center who is going to guard that position, that brings their big out of the lane. And so what does that do for your guards? It allows guys like Jalen Brunson, whose first instinct is to break down the defense, to be that much more effective at it. Because if you can get past the perimeter, then there's not a big waiting for you at the rim yeah. because they're stretched all the way out to the perimeter guarding James Johnson. So... That's why I think that this is going to be a beneficial pairing for 
Jalen Brunson and for Trey Burke too, because when he's on the floor with Luca, he benefits from that spacing and the Mavs get another skilled ball handler. So the interesting parallel to draw here is with the starting lineup and how it affected Anthony Davis's positioning in the paint. When you when you're starting Dwight Powell at that position and you're matching him up against AD, you're essentially allowing AD to just stay in the paint and stay in the interior because Dwight Powell can't do anything anywhere else. And at the end of the day, all that that does is it adds another layer of defense that Luka has to get around in the offense. So what you saw the Lakers doing was having a help defender right there to double for a second and then quickly go back if a pass is being made. And then you had Anthony Davis on the interior. And so Luca seemed overwhelmed a lot in that game. A part of it was he was gassed, but also I don't think the team defensive scheme worked against them. And I think a big reason for that is you need KP against that team because KP brings AD out. Now there is about three square feet more space in the paint that you have access to and that you can move your defender around in. So in this case, when it comes to Trey Burke, for example, Trey Burke has shown that he's really good at catch and shoot threes, like a lot better than we thought he was going to be. And so he works well with Luca, but in this case, he also works well with James Johnson. Yeah. I really like Burke's fit in this offense. Let's talk about another guy who had a good bounce-back game in this one, which is Willie Cauley-Stein. Willie Cauley-Stein did not play much in the first game against the Suns, but showed enough that he earned Rick's trust going into the Lakers game. But he had a rough game against the Lakers, just given the fact that the Lakers got basically every single rebound. The Mavs had no second-chance points. The Lakers outscored them 35 nothing with second chance points. So as a seven footer, that's never good when you can't box out and get rebounds. But I feel like in today's game, Willie Colley Stein on defense really took it upon himself to box out and get rebounds, especially on offense too. He had a couple of offensive rebounds, which I mean, weren't super consequential given the Mavs blew out the Clippers, but in any other game would have been good. So it was nice to see that rebounding was a point of emphasis for him today. And then as well as on offense, I think Willie Cauley-Stein had a couple of nice dunks, including one one pretty cool play where he was bringing the ball up the floor and dribbled it in for the and one dunk. I mean, that sort of shows you the type of talent that Willie has if he's able to play within his means. You know, if he does everything right, then usually there'll be chances in the game where he's rewarded to show some of these skills that we know that he works a lot on in practice. So it was nice to see that he had a bounce back game that showed signs that he could be dependent on going forward. He was tenacious on the boards, which I really enjoyed, especially with his presence on the offensive boards. I believe, yeah, he had four of them and he only had two defensive rebounds. So that's where he made most of his money tonight. And that's really mostly about energy and positioning, right? Energy, Mm -hmm. positioning, physicality, and against a team like the Clippers, where you have Serge Ibaka, Zubac, you know, those are big-bodied guys, but they're also not they're not at peak condition, right? So it's not as much pressure, which is good. It was necessary for a bounce-back game. And the second thing is what I alluded to before with his screening. His screens were a lot better this game. One of the criticisms yeah. of his pick-and-roll 
skill set is that he will kind of try to do a Zaza flare screen. And that's kind of a waste of his physical profile because Mm -hmm. you see him. And I mean, Mavs fans, even before he was in a Mavs uniform, were fantasizing about this guy and saying, this guy could be like Tyson Chandler for us. And to see him working on those aspects of the game, the little things and, and doing his job in that sense and being an energy guy and being a plug and play guy is really important. And just like we were talking about Trey Burke, just like we were talking about Jalen Brunson, I think he's one of those guys that impressed a lot because of that decision making. Yeah, Willie is a guy who is a seven footer who is athletic. And I think when you fit that profile, your first job is to rebound, is to set hard screens and roll to the basket. It would be a waste of his physical talents if he didn't do that. And that's why the Lakers game was so rough and disheartening for him was just he wasn't playing like a guy that of his profile should play. But today he really did do those things. And just the ability to set screens and roll to the basket is huge for him because, I mean, he can finish above basically everybody with his athleticism and his height. Yep. I mean, that's a guy you really want to take advantage of. And I do feel like the Mavericks guards weren't quite doing that in the first couple of games. But in today's game, I feel like they did take more advantage and found him in the lane for some of those alley-oop dunks yep. and, other, and other plays. And I think that's what they need to do. That's what the yeah. team needs to do to help maximize the skill. And Willie needs to personally just continue to play with physicality and intensity on both the offensive and defensive sides of the ball because his role is very important, especially with Porzingis being out. But even with Porzingis being in, Willie Cauley-Stein is probably the most athletic big on the roster. Yep. And I, so... I'm just going to say it. Even, like... When Chris stops is in, he's the second best center on the on the roster. He is. He, like, it's yeah. not close. Yeah, and especially when it comes to guarding other scoring bigs like Anthony Davis, right? Like, Willie Cauley-Stein is going to be that guy. I mean, Dwight Powell does not have the – does not possess the skill set to de- defend players like that. So Willie Cauley-Stein is just that much more important. And so if he continues to play like this, I mean, he will be a fixture of the bench unit. Yeah, I can see him definitely getting – into that 20 minute range uh i do want to note that he shot three of five and his only two misses were one missed dunk which was an alley-oop attempt i believe or she got what she got fouled on right he did get fouled on that and the other one was a (laughs) buzzer beating three-pointer attempt at the end of the third quarter so (laughs) i don't think either of those particularly count this was a great game from Willie Cauley-Stein. Can't say enough about that. And I do want to reiterate what you said very quickly, that he is the X factor for that bench unit, I believe. He yeah. possesses a skill set that Maxi Powell just don't have. Yeah, and when you look at a guy like him, yeah, when you look at a guy like him, he's the perfect player to succeed in this system. If you go back looking at a player like Brandon Wright, who was a similar similar profile to Willie Cauley-Stein. I mean, not the exact same player, but, I mean, look at how the Mavericks made him go from underachieving high first-round draft pick to a fixture of their system that helped them build an unstoppable offense. The Mavs don't even need that out of Willie Cauley-Stein. So the point is that he possesses the physical gifts to succeed in the system and to be maximized in the system, and I hope that he continues to do the things 
necessary and asked of him so that he can be rewarded with more minutes and more opportunities to do things like hit that jump shot yeah. off the dribble. I mean, it was in garbage time, but those are the those are the things that help you build some skills that you don't have before. Right. And the the knock on him has been his motor, I believe, but I also do want to say he was playing for the Sacramento Kings. It's very difficult to have a motor when you're playing for one of the losingest franchises in the league. And I think because he's playing on a team now where he's playing actual meaningful minutes mm. for a really good coach for a stable franchise, I really do hope that he stays locked in and that all of those media reports about not being able to stay focused are just left in the past of that environment because like like we just said he could he could be that dude yeah he definitely comes across as a guy who is very eager to show off what he can do and certainly believes in his ability but at the same time is not always dialed in when he's not the featured guy because let's face it he's never going to be the featured guy on offense but this is the best team that he's ever played for so I hope that it will translate into him really honing in on his role. Yeah. He also did play with some really great players and Stephen Curry and, <laughs> and, and such with the Warriors last year, I believe. So, But I'll, Curry got injured like two right, games. The, the, the team, team itself, the, I'm not saying that the team itself is better than the Mavs. The, this Mavs team is better than, than that Warriors team or the Warriors team of this year without Clay. That's not, that's not the point that I'm making. Uh, more so what I'm saying is he got a touch of play, of not being the focal point of like mm-hmm. he he can't even in his head say yo I should be more important on this team because you have three guys that are all-star caliber players and I think he he got used to the idea of being like a mercenary. You know the mercenary mindset mm-hmm. like you know what I'm talking about? Like go yeah. in, do your job, get out, right? Exactly. That type of thing. Yeah. And that chip on his shoulder is something that I really do hope continues. He's a high draft pick. So obviously when you're drafted that high, I mean, I think he was the sixth or seventh pick in the 2015 draft. So guys like that don't come into a situation expecting to be told, like, this is your role. Like, you can only play your role. Like, they expect to come in and be stars. But Willie Cauley-Stein got into a situation where he was essentially a backup to DeMarcus Cousins in Sacramento. So I think from that point onwards, he's really been yearning for the chance to prove himself and prove the skills that he has. And I think it can happen with the Mavericks, but he has got to buy into the role that that he's given on this team. And I And I think he will. This is a system where players really do get motivated to play the role that they're asked. And as a result, they're rewarded with more opportunities and career production. I can see him taking a genuine leap if he if he works on decision-making and film a lot. I know that he doesn't need it as much because his role is more concise. But I think he needs to learn to pick and choose his spots a little better based on the opponent's team defensive scheme. It worked out in this case, mm-hmm. but that's also because everyone around him was playing really well. I'm looking forward to the first game where he is helping us cut into a deficit 
Yeah, this was one game. So we do have need to see him in less favorable situations where the Mavericks aren't blowing out the other <laughs> team by 40 or 50 points. But it was a good start. Absolutely. Uh, moving from Willie Cauley-Stein, I definitely want to talk about Tim Hardaway Jr. here because mm-hmm. he did not have a good game against the Lakers. and Or even against the Suns for that matter. Yeah. He's a little overzealous with taking those shots. And although that's a good thing mentality-wise because you don't want your shooters to hesitate, I do wish he would be a little more selective. When he is just letting it fly, he reminds me a lot of Wes Matthews, although he is a better player. In this case, what I really enjoyed was he was doing a bit of everything. We talked a little bit about his defense, but he had five defensive rebounds. He had two steals, two assists. No turnovers, pretty damn good. And he shot 50% from the field and from three. He definitely got into a rhythm today. I, I do feel that. He got into a rhythm early. Yeah, he did. And I think he, he showed like his old self today, a guy who came in after a rough start of the season last year, was plugged into the starting lineup, and all of a sudden became this hyper-efficient key cog in the Mavs offense that shot yep. 40% from three. And... That was super, super valuable for the Mavericks last season. And so this season, in the first two games, we sort of got a glimpse again of the old Timmy where he was just taking bad shots, trying to gun everything he could get and not really settle into what his bread and butter was, which was getting open for three-pointers. Yeah, And I'm glad we saw today's game because I think Tim's value to this team, in a sense, even though we do get frustrated sometimes with the shot selection, Opposing teams do have to respect him as a guy who will fire away and has a better than not chance of making it. It really came down to defense and energy for him getting into a rhythm. I believe one of his first shots, if not his first made basket, was a transition layup. And that was coming off of good defense. And so I do think, because he's not just a shooter... When he was in Atlanta, when he was in New York, obviously those are bad teams at that point. But he was expected to be a scorer. He's branded as a scorer more than he's branded as a shooter. And so I do think for his rhythm, the important thing is getting him easy looks. And he's not necessarily the best off the dribble player. And the Mavs have better players who can facilitate. So if you can get him in those positions, if you can get him running in transition, get him an easy basket... It helps his confidence, number one. And two, I don't think he feels like he needs to get into a rhythm shooting as much. He's a pretty versatile player in that sense. Like, yeah, his shooting is not the only thing he can do. And he's shown the ability to get to the basket at the right time. I think on this team in particular, his shooting is pretty valuable. But, you know, when the time is right and the defense breaks down enough, I mean, Tim Hardaway has shown the ability to get to the cup and we'll have plenty of chances to do that. So... Today's game was sort of a throwback to last season, and it was good to reaffirm my faith in him because after the first couple of games and even the preseason, I was starting to wonder if we were seeing the old Tim and if he would be able to fit well in this new system with Josh Richardson. So it was nice to see. Especially near the end of that Clippers series when Kristaps was out, we did see during deficits that the Mavs basically relied on Tim to just shoot a ton of volume shots, right? Just just to shoot a high volume of threes, and hopefully they go in. And I believe that the Josh Richardson acquisition 
is going to help him a lot more than we predicted because he's going to be asked to do less off the dribble. He's not going to be asked to play outside of himself defensively. He's more so a cog in a system. And that, I think, is going to help him and all of the players on this team in particular. He was a very important part of what they did last year as a scorer. But I think now, like you said, with Richardson on the floor, teams are now going to have to deal with two very good three-point shooters. And that just creates more opportunities for both of them to to do what they do best as far as it goes with shooting the ball. So let's hope that we see more of similar games from Timmy going forward. So I want to talk about three numbers from this game that I think were significant to illustrate what happened this afternoon. So the first one is 50, which is the Mavs lead at halftime. They led the Clippers 77 to 27 after two NBA quarters, something you have never seen before because that's the largest lead in NBA history. And they ended up winning the game by 51 points. So they actually technically played better in the second half than they did in the first half. (laughs) Technically, of course, because we both know that the Clippers put out their garbage time lineup (laughs) by the end of the game so those numbers are slightly skewed but i totally get what you mean the halftime deficit was so large that it was a guarantee that the Mavs were going to win that uh, to quote charles barkley it's almost unfathomable to think that in this nba day and age where scoring is key that a team that has a 200 million dollar player on them only managed to score 27 points in the first half. I mean, to put that in perspective, I remember going to a game like six years ago, a Mavs game against the trust the process tanking Philadelphia 76ers. I know where this is going. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I think the Mavs ended up winning that game by 53, which was their biggest win ever. But that's the sort of (laughs) that that was the Monte Ellis series, right? Yeah, that was Monte's last year with the Mavs, but I don't remember what the halftime score of that was, game was. It was 44. The margin was 44. Yeah, that was the final margin of victory. But I, I, I don't know if the Sixers ended up scoring more in the first half than the Clippers did, but I think it was around that 20 to 30 point range. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Mavs have always been on the forefront of extremely efficient offense with Dirk and now with Luka. So it's not a surprise that you would see a margin like that. What is a surprise, though, is that you see it against the Clippers because the Clippers are billed as this, you know, hyped-up championship contender, going to be in the top four seeds of the Western Conference. And I got to say, Paul George started out with some momentum, but, I mean, finishing the game 4 of 13, shooting 30% from the field... Maybe he's in his head, but honestly, I think it was the defense. I think the Mavs' defensive scheme worked really well because Kawhi was out. And yeah. it, it was able to key in on Paul George a lot. And I think that's something that you're not going to see in, in the box score. It's not something that you will necessarily even see in the highlights. Because defensive highlights really really don't get that much <laughs> attention. Yeah, I I think like the Clippers got off to a really, really bad start shooting the ball. I think they shot like 18% in the first quarter and the Mavs shot 60%. But not all of that was due to bad luck. I think the Mavs defense certainly had a hand in forcing that bad shooting performance and the Clippers never recovered from there. Absolutely. I mean, Paul George was 
0 of 6 from 3. So he he was shooting pretty decently in the past two games. So this may just be a fluke. But from the eye test, I do genuinely think that throwing more bodies at him uh, bothered him. And <laughs> for comparison, Paul George in 24 minutes of play scored 15 points. And Luka Doncic and Josh Richardson had both scored 13 points after the first quarter. <laughs> Luka didn't quite pull a Kobe outscoring the entire opponent through three quarters, but he did his best to emulate that. He got pretty close. I mean, the, the Mavs score at halftime was his jersey number, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. The Mavs number of points in the first half matched his jersey number and the Mavs final final margin of victory at the end of the game was Boban's jersey number so the Mavs are paying a tribute to two of their most beloved players two of the most beloved players of NBA on TNT yep yep let's get to the second number which is 54 54 is the number of rebounds that the Mavericks grabbed today against the Clippers they out rebounded them 54 to 36 I believe uh, to put that in perspective, the Mavericks were out-rebounded 53-26 to against the Lakers. And so it was nice to see the Mavs being the destroyer of rebounds today, unlike they were on Christmas against the Lakers. Yeah, it's all about physicality, aggression, positioning, and knowing your matchup, obviously. And all those things considered, I think, yeah, you can pinpoint guys like Willie, but it was a committee this game Luca had a really good amount and good distribution of defensive rebounds he's not stat padding with those if he's in position he gets them what I will say that I'm genuinely disappointed in is Dwight Powell only getting four rebounds in almost 18 minutes of play <laughs> that's just yeah I mean I think at this point Powell is not really a guy you depend on Four rebounds, but you would certainly like to see a better rebounding performance. Somebody needs to tell 2K. Starting big. <laughs> Somebody needs to tell 2K because he's called, his archetype is called tenacious rebounder. <laughs> that speaks more lowly of 2K than it does of Dwight Powell. Of but. course. I'm not going to sit here and, and, and badmouth or say something overall negative about a player like that. It's just disrespectful and unprofessional. But I do think Dwight Powell is playing out of position, and that does hurt him, obviously, with Kristaps being out. And for what it is, he's doing a decent job. I'm just glad he didn't attempt any threes today. Yeah, I think they need to stop even entertaining that possibility unless it's like a blowout like this. But, yeah, I mean... And even then, I would rather have Willie take them. Exactly. Willie has proven his ability to shoot a bit. Actually, I'll take that back. I don't think he's proven anything yet, but... <laughs> Mechanically, his shot is better, so... Yeah, I, I do like Willie's shot form. I think if he continues to work on it, he might be able to hit jump shots with more frequency. But, yeah, to your point, the rebounding effort was was evident today, even with the eye test. I mean, Luca from the beginning, as we mentioned, was grabbing rebounds like he was last season, which is nice to see. Of course, Willie was doing a great job of rebounding as well. It was interesting to see the Clippers, who have a reputation of being a physical team, they were sort of doing like what the Mavericks did back in the Dirk years of nobody try and grab the offensive rebound, everybody just run back on defense. And the Mavs did it because 
they were just horribly deficient when it came to defense and Dirk was old. But with a guy like Ibaka, you would have thought that the Clippers would try and fight for more rebounds, but they didn't. And I think that certainly helped the Mavs when it came to rebounding the ball. But their effort was definitely better today. Absolutely. And I don't want to skate over James Johnson's contribution. In 20 minutes of play, he had eight rebounds, six defensive, and two offensive. And that's, of course, on top of his passing and scoring. Our final number for today is 61%, which is what Josh Richardson shot from the field today. He was 8 for 13 shooting and was 4 for 8 from 3. And Josh Richardson just continues to impress with both his defense and his shooting and playmaking on offense. Josh Richardson is one of those guys that needs to get paid this offseason. I think all of Mavs Twitter knows that. Yep, absolutely. I don't have much to say about it. He's just cold, man. He's just cold. Yeah, I don't really have much to say either other than he's a damn good three-point shooter. This is an amazing basketball fit for him, and the Mavericks better not mess this up. They better re-sign him because he is a guy who can be a part of your core for many, many years. I lied, actually. There is one thing that I want to add. The numbers don't tell you necessarily how good of a shooter he is. He has a couple of shots, especially from three every game, that like just rim out or like yep. barely miss. And it's not something mechanically. I think it's just those shots will eventually start going in. So I yeah, do I mean, think that there's room for growth for his shooting, especially alongside Luka. And I think he fits off ball as well. So, Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's a perfect off-ball player who has shown his ability to also make plays and get into the lane. He's a skilled finisher. And so I'm excited to see what more Josh Richardson can do. And he's already doing a lot right now. And I, I, I called him Josh, quote-unquote, all-star Richardson on Twitter. Hmm. I don't know if he'll make the all-star team. It, it seems unlikely. But if the Mavs are good enough, you know, he could get that Chris Middleton all-star nod. You know, it's he's definitely showing that he's going to be a big part of their success this year. Obviously, there's a possibility, but I don't see Josh Richardson looking at it like that's something that he's even really trying to do this this season. Yeah, I don't think so. I think he's pretty aware of what his role is here. I think he's very comfortable in that. Um, And on top of that, I don't think his role as a scorer would ever allow him to get the numbers as a tertiary option that would make him an all-star. However, he reminds me a lot of what Monte Ellis was to those late Dirk teams, where he was that second guy who can get to the basket if need be. He's not as explosive. He doesn't have that quick first step, and he's more of a defender than Monte was. He's also a better shooter, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he and he is not undersized. And because of that, although he is playing a similar role in comparison, I believe he fits the team composition much better because you don't you don't have to offset him as a defensive liability. He can hold his own. Yeah, Josh Richardson is the perfect fit for this team, and I think he's what the Mavs envisioned Wesley Matthews becoming. Of course, Wes was coming off the Achilles injury and was on the wrong side of 30, so that didn't work in his favor. But Josh Richardson is is 27 years old and has shown the ability to do whatever is asked for him and shows tangible effort on defense. So I think 
he sort of is the best of both worlds when it comes to Monte and Wes Matthews. So I love it. I do want to see him be more consistently aggressive off the dribble, especially in those moments where he is playing with the bench. Yeah, I would like to see the Mavs utilize his playmaking ability more. I think even though Luka is obviously the guy who's going to do most of the ball handling, I think Josh Richardson has the ability to be a secondary playmaker when asked. So I think the Mavs should utilize him more. I like him doing those drive and kicks that are a little similar to Luca more than I like Brunson doing it because Brunson has to go into the weeds and then try to finagle a pass out of there. That's very turnover prone. Him yeah, being six, six, I believe mm-hmm. Richardson helps a lot. Yeah. I think Josh Richardson has the finishing ability that Dillon Wright had, but is just a better player than him overall. So and more confident in himself, more proven as well. Because he's been given the role before. I think Rick also took a shot at DeLon Wright with one of those quotes during media week. I don't quite remember what he said, but it's funny that we mentioned DeLon Wright as well. (laughs) I have no idea what you're talking about. There was like a quote that that Rick said about like how Josh Richardson is like a guy who's capable of defending multiple positions. And he was like, that's something we were looking for last season that we didn't have or something along those lines. And a lot of people interpreted it as a shot to DeLon Wright because the Mavs acquired him for that very reason, to have flexibility on defense. And that was not the case. It didn't work out with DeLon. Very true. Anyways, moving on to the present. I do want to highlight that James Johnson played heavy minutes with the third string bench unit which consisted of Wes Wundu, Josh Green, Tyrell Terry, and Boban. They obviously played against the third stringers for the LA Clippers. However, they did show that they can play on a string on defense, and on the other side, they can put their energy into good use in transition. For example, Josh Green had a really nice dunk after a steal that was predicated by his active hands. And Wes Windu, for example, stayed with it. And even when he wasn't able to get his guy moving the way that he wanted off the dribble, he was consistent on those backdoor cuts, those baseline drives. And people like James Johnson, uh, Trey Burke, Jalen Brunson, they got him the ball where he needed it. And that was necessary, especially for Wes, because He's one of those guys on the roster where we don't know what he's going to be night in and night out. And so you needed this run to understand where he is in his development right now and what he can offer. I thought the bench unit played with some good synergy today. Of course, granted, they were going against the Clippers scrubs, but, you know, all these minutes are important for the young guys and the fringe guys like Josh Green and Wes Wundu and... Tyrell Terry. So I thought they played with some good energy and good synergy, just being able to score in transition. I mean, you mentioned the nice steal and dunk that Josh Green had. And there was this one play where Brunson was driving baseline and found Iwundu who was cutting to the basket for the dunk. So those sorts of things are nice. And when you don't play many minutes, those sorts of smart plays go a long way in earning you goodwill with the coach, who in this case is Rick Carlisle, where 
goodwill is as important as it ever is with any other coach. Yep. And it's about playing within your own ability, uh, not trying to do too much. That brings me to a little bit of Tyrell Terry. I think he's still a little uncomfortable out there. Maybe the pace of the game is a, a little daunting to him. But even though he only played about eight or nine minutes today, I do think that he got a better idea of what the passing needs to be like Mm -hmm. on that lineup and what opportunities he needs to be looking for. And it's not something that's going to pay off right now, but I do genuinely believe by the end of the season, we will have a more concrete idea of what he can become. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I think right now, Tyrell Terry, as much as we would want him to see him play, he's a bit raw. I think he is pretty undersized for the NBA game. And Today's game was good for him in the sense that he showed a lot more control and composure than he did in the preseason. In the preseason, I thought he was a bit out of control. He didn't quite have some of the decision-making you would look for in an NBA guard. And I think today he really played within his role. He shot it when he wanted to, but wasn't eager to just pull the trigger whenever he could. And that's very important for a young guy like him. And like you said, It probably is not going to manifest in tangible minutes this season, but he's a young guy who's only 20 years old and he's got a long career ahead of him. So year one is going to be absolutely critical for his development. Right. Year one especially, I feel like he needs to understand where he fits in on the team. And that's going to be the biggest thing to getting him comfortable. Then once you get him comfortable, I think the biggest thing that he needs to develop is that really tight handle. His play style, when I watch his film, obviously reminds us of a Seth Curry, right? Of those prolific, phenomenal scoring combo guards. And if he wants to be that guy, he needs to master change of direction, start, stop, all of this in the NBA. Because you can do it in college versus those guys. These guys are a whole other level of athletes. So you start with comfort and then you build it up into confidence and... I do hope that the more time he gets with the training staff, guys like Sham God, he'll get there. But at the same time, for guards, it usually takes a couple years. And I don't want to seem impatient with his development in particular, because it's important, I think, in this game that he got run while there was no pressure and that there shouldn't be any pressure on him to contribute in the way that a Seth Curry did. And so managing your expectations for him is very important. I know that you've managed your expectations, but I do want our listeners to also do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think the Mavs are in a good spot that they don't need a guy like Tyrell Terry to contribute immediately. And they're not short on young talent that they need to develop like they were towards the end of Dirk's career. Right when they drafted someone like Shane Larkin, you know, I think at the time player development was that much more important just because you were trying to look for who you could build with for the future. But now the Mavs have their future. They have good complementary pieces. And so you could take a more patient and deliberate approach with your rookies like Josh Green and Tyrell Terry. I'm really glad that you brought up Josh Green because one other point that I wanted to add for him is his playmaking and his handle does seem to be a little rough right now he did have a couple turnovers and 
a couple inside shots where he either put too much on it or too little on it. And when it comes to putting too much or too little on it, that's actually easier to fix. But in terms of the handle and the playmaking, that's going to come with comfort and decision making. It's the mental part of the game. Where I think he's going to actually contribute right away and where he can contribute right away is those defensive plays. I mean, if you expect him to make his own opportunities on the defensive end, I really think it could energize not only him, but it could energize the entire bench unit. Because you look at James Johnson, you look at Willie, right? you look at Josh Richardson, you look at Boban, all those guys can defend, right? They can make the most of their physicality. Obviously, Boban has a lot of matchup problems, but I'm purely talking about the wingspan and the size for him. And it's not like he gets that much playing time anyways. So tempering expectations on Josh Green is a little important because he is extremely athletic, a multi-sport athlete, and he has gobs of potential. But this is the perfect opportunity for him to play a very simple role and build from that in the coming months and years. Exactly. I think the Mavs are in a unique position to allow him to grow into his role and grow into the team. And so they're in no rush to have him contribute immediately. But at the same time, games like these are a good chance for him to show what he has and develop his skills. And I guess you could view giving your rookies extended minutes as an incentive to blow out your opponent. (laughs) Exactly. And the offense, while they were in, didn't grind to a halt at all. Okay, A lot of that you can give credit to Jalen Brunson and James Johnson, but even without them, there were a lot of moments where the Mavs were moving the ball around the perimeter to the open shooter, where they were playing very meticulous offensive basketball, and they were purely in a flow with one another. And I do want to see more and more of that, especially for these young guys, because as close as Rick's system can be to some of the familiarities of college... It's just different when you are going off the fly. And so they need to be comfortable before anything, which is why I keep kind of coming back to it. So yeah, the garbage time is extremely important for them. Yeah, I think one of the key tenets of the flow offense is basketball IQ and the ability for a coach to trust his players when they're out there. And so with Josh Green, that's going to be key for his development. And I think he already has a leg up just with his activity on offense and even on defense forcing steals so he's showing a lot of promise as far as his fit the system now it's just a matter of getting the reps and polishing some of the things that he's good at yeah i really enjoyed his help defense a lot i feel like there's not only a lot of potential there i think he's actually really good at it already um and that makes sense because he was built on that from the start in his scouting profile But what I do want to see him work a little more on is that playmaking because I think it's closer along than it seems just visually from the eye test because he's going for the right plays. I mean, there was one moment where he made a cross-court pass from one wing to the other baseline. I forget who he passed to. It might have been Tim Hardaway Jr., but that opened them up for an open three. And that was the exact right play to make there. And he's the right size to make that pass. So I do want to see him get more comfortable with that. 
So he isn't necessarily trying to do everything at once. Playmaking was one of his scouting weaknesses coming out of college, but to his credit, he's a smart player, and I think he has the right intentions when trying to make plays. It's just a matter of getting more refined at those skills, such as handling the ball in the pick and roll, as well as looking for the right read as a playmaker. But he certainly has the size. I mean, he's he's six foot five or six foot six, so he's ideal size for a guard. So I think with the Mavs player development program and guys like Sham God, I hope that they can continue to help him build his skills with playmaking. Well, I'll clarify what I was talking about. Obviously, his his playmaking in terms of his handle, as I mentioned earlier, is just not there right now. And his like bounce passing and stuff like that, he's going to be very turnover prone in that sense. But in terms of his vision, his vision is there, right? So he that's where I see the potential for him. It may not even be a case where, you know, he's ISOing, he makes the cross-court pass. It may just be recognizing that a guy is open and shuffling the ball around. But that's still extremely valuable when you have all these shooters on your team. Definitely. And I think the Mavs are the right system to help him maximize his his ability to do that. But the good thing is that they won't need to rely on his playmaking ability anytime soon. And if he develops it, that'll be a bonus. So I really look forward to seeing what he can become. To kind of synthesize what we've been talking about so far, Jay... Obviously, this was a great bounce-back game after two straight losses and one really bad loss on Christmas Day. After watching the whole game, I was more impressed with the team chemistry and with what was going on in the garbage time minutes, honestly, because it showed me a little more of what I didn't know. And that was something that I really wanted to see in those first three games, and I didn't catch them in the Suns game, and I definitely didn't catch them in the Lakers game. This was a necessary game. I think we both agree on that. (laughs) Yeah, it was absolutely necessary just from a a team standpoint when it comes to mentality and psychology. And if you're a fan, it just gives you a really, really good picture of what this team can be, how the pieces fit together, and how things are going to look when Kristaps Porzingis gets plugged back into the lineup. All right, guys, thanks for listening to our post-game podcast after this 51-point win against the Los Angeles Clippers. As always, be sure to follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts so you are up to date with our latest releases. And if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter at Mavs Film Room. We bring you highlights and clips during the games and after games and film breakdowns and general fan content. So... Be sure to follow us. You won't want to miss what we post. Absolutely not. Uh, this year has been a great one for Mavs Film Room. Just finding a community of like-minded and extremely funny people, may I just say, um, <laughs> that, uh, that enjoy our content and that really make us feel at home. Just creating like a little family has been very enjoyable and I know that I speak for both of us when when I say we're so excited to see this grow throughout 2021. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for everyone who follow us and interacts with us on, on Twitter. I mean, I think it's really, really fun and you know, it's, it's going to be nice to build on this throughout the entire season. So I'm looking forward to all the new virtual and in-person friends that we'll make Homer vision, always (laughs) Homer vision, always (laughs) hashtag MFFL.